Johnny Mac playing our song. Monday after draft weekend here on Birds 365 on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. We appreciate your stream on in. I'm Jody McDonald. He's John McMullen. And we've both been just inundated with draft stuff for the last three days. We'll give you a whole bunch of our thoughts today and we'll get up a couple of guests to lend their voice as well. Uh, J-Mac, we spoke at last on Friday after round one, which of course is the major and significant round, not only for the Philadelphia Eagles, but all the teams in the National Football League. It's just that the Eagles might have come away with uh, more additional talent after round one than anyone else, uh, numbers-wise, and already proven production in the National Football League with A.J. Brown, which left us days two and three and many less Eagle picks than we thought we were getting prior to the start of the draft because they had to position themselves to uh, get in the right spot to be able to take the two uh, top flight players that they took. Was it any bit of a letdown for you? Because we came in, Eagles had 10 picks, right? Before the whole yeah. draft proceeding started, they had 10. No, that, was, that part, you know, that part was anything but a letdown. That part was exciting. Um, you know, from our perspective, we're rooting for Howie to continue to trade. <laughs> Don't get back in, but... Um, yeah, for the volume people, I'd like to call them, they're probably a little bit, uh, upset, but when it comes to, when it comes to day three picks and, and, you know, measuring them against an AJ Brown or even a Jordan Davis, I'm with less need, man. F them picks. F I, I don't care how many you give up. Uh, that's, you know, those are lottery tickets every every draft pick is a lottery ticket but as you know howie and every general manager will tell you picks are not you know they're not even um there's a big difference uh from the top of the draft down to the seventh round so um yeah i mean look they got two potential difference makers in the draft they got one difference maker we know that we know that we've seen them play you know, that's the one thing Nick Sirianni said. We said after day one is like, th there's no projection here. You know, he saw him in Indianapolis before he got here. Um, you know, nobody else is sitting there saying that about their first round picks. They feel nice. They feel good about him. And this includes Jordan Davis with the Eagles as well. Eagles feel good about him, but nobody knows 100% all the way up from Trayvon Walker down to Lewis scene bookends of course by georgia in that first round um all of its projection um but aj brown isn't uh so i was you know very comfortable with the eagles trading those picks and getting those particular players but yeah i mean some people just like volume and they want more picks more picks more picks you know, the one thing that kind of makes up for that is, and, and how we said this before, not after. So, you know, he was kind of telling the truth. This is, and he's not the only one. Um, this was one of the deepest undrafted classes in history um, because of the COVID, you know, changes, the extra year, kids staying in school. Um, just the volume of it was so much larger. So there were more players to pick from. And the Eagles got some kids with draftable grades on, on the undrafted free agent market. So maybe you can look at them as some extra draft picks if it makes you feel good. But, um, yeah, I'd give up, you know, if I could, I'd give up 
more picks to get A.J. Brown and Jordan Davis. <laughs> and day three a, picks. Day three picks. I understand what you're saying. And the point you make about uh, it being a larger undrafted class than ever before because of COVID and the like. You're right. Howie Roseman said that uh, prior to draft. And he wasn't the only one who said it. Guys, we've had on as guests here on the show said the same exact thing, that uh, there'll be some quality guys whose names will not be called over the three days. And if you can get them into your program, you can get an undrafted free agent who might be on the equivalent level of a six-round pick or a seventh-round pick. So you're right. The volume of the picks is is not uh, something that I question at all. The quality of the picks, I don't know how anybody questions because A.J. Brown basically counts as a pick. He's an established star wide receiver in the league. Got to pay for him. They had to give up decent capital, get, get him and sign him to the contract extension, which I think is a plus because it shows that the Eagles realize you can't just draw a line in the sand and say, we're not going to be dictated to by the other teams in the National Football League. Yeah, you are. And yeah, you were. And yeah, you responded by signing A.J. Brown to a four-year contract extension. So that's a good sign if you're an Eagle fan as well. Uh, the fact that they got Cam Jurgens, a guy that you and I talked about before the draft ever happened. I told you Tony Pauline, my guy, uh, told me before the draft he would rank him as the number one center ahead of uh, Linda Baum, who went in the first round. So the Eagles get Jason Kelsey's replacement in the second. Does it fill an immediate need? No. If you get a guy who can hold down the center position for the Eagles for six, seven, eight years after Jason Kelsey retires, is it worth it? Second round pick? I surely believe so. To steal. No other way to describe it other than steal. N'Kobe Dean in the third round, this whole peck injury thing that came up. I know we're banking on the Eagles doctors having a better read than every other doctor in the league, which is a little shaky water and ice to be on, but Still, they say he's going to practice this week, John. He's going to come right in and yeah. he's ready to rock and roll. How bad can his injury be if he's going to jump in first week of uh, rookie training? Yeah, well, we'll we'll talk more about that because I got more information on on sort of the Nicobe Dean slide. But um, it generally, with all these things, you know, when when players slide significantly. You, even before you know, you know, 99% it's medically related. Sometimes there's some off the field stuff, but when, when you see a pretty significant slide, it's almost all the time medically related. And that was the case with some other Carson strong. They signed as an undrafted free agent, completely, completely uh, medically related. Uh, you know, he was probably going to be early in the process. You could say it was going to be a day three picks, a, a a third round pick and then you know the worst case would be early day three but his knee is just uh too troublesome for too many teams and he became undrafted and then then it's worth a flyer with Nicobe, i was the same as you i'm like well even if he needs surgery on his pack you know that's uh that's a six month six month injury, maybe eight months. Worst case scenario, even if you got a red shirt half his rookie season, even if you got a red shirt all his rookie season, that to me is comparable to David Ojabo went in the second round uh, to Baltimore, I believe. Um, that explains like a little bit of a drop, um, you know, because there's no real concern. He's a young kid. You know, it's not a 35 year old player. Um, it, the more from other teams' perspectives is he's had injuries in the past. He's had a knee injury. 
and he's had a a, a shoulder injury, um, and and they think that stuff is more chronic, and there's a chance that it could be an issue uh, moving forward. And we'll see who's right. But the pack part never made sense to me because that's kind of clear cut, and you're cutting out six eight months, and then everything's back. But there's more concerns than that uh, with Nicobe Dean, and that kind of explains uh, the fall. And we'll see who's right. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if he's healthy, you know, I, I never thought he was a first round pick because of the, the, the value the league places on the position plus his size, but a worst case scenario, you're talking late first, early second round pick. If he's, you know, if he's got the P is Howie Roseman says the complete pass on, on the medicals. So, to get somebody like that in the third round is incredible value from just a talent perspective. And then, you know, then it comes down to the medicals. That's all it comes down to. Are the Eagles right or are the rest of the league right? Now, how he claims teams were going to consider starting to take him um, there in the third round. So he's probably right. He usually has a good feel for those types of things. He, he did say that the two players on their board magically. How often does this happen, Jody, at 51? It was Cam Jurgens or N'Kobe Dean. Shane Steichen was uh, texting, hey, Cam's still there. And and Jonathan Gannon was texting Nick Sirianni, hey, N'Kobe's still there. Yeah, and, and magically the Eagles got both players. I don't believe that part of it. I think they're blowing a little bit smoke there. But they got a good player in the third round value. It's all medical from here. I mean, I, you know he can play. Mm. It's 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 you know how long is he going to play? How healthy is he going to be? I'll give you a quick uh, story along those same lines. Uh, give me two minutes here, Eagle fans, because it's worth telling, and McMullen will appreciate it. How often does it happen where you're deciding between two players, and you end up getting both of the players anyway? My father's last year with the New York Mets. He had been let go as their general manager, stuck around as their assistant general manager, new ownership, brought in Frank Cash, and they would have Frank to be the guy. And my father understood it. He eventually left and went to St. Louis, won a World Series with Whitey Herzog. But anyway, he stayed one year with the Mets as their assistant general manager. Prior to the draft, the Mets had the first pick and the 21st pick in the draft. And they were caught between two players. One of them was Daryl Strawberry, the other was Billy Bean. Billy Bean. One of the more <laughs> important executives in Major League Baseball over the last 25 years. And it truly was a toss-up between those two players. And Frank Cash and asked my father, he said, Joe, can you do me a solid? Get on a plane, fly out to L.A. Strawberry is playing in a high school tournament three days before the draft. I need somebody's eyes I trust. Go out and look at them. He went out, strawberry, hit two home runs. If my father came back, said his swing looks like Ted Williams. We need to take this kid. So they did. So they take strawberry at one. Billy Bean is still sitting there at 21. So the Mets, they were they were gonna take Billy Bean first. They ended up taking him 21st. And he was a cup of coffee guy in the major leagues, much more well known for his general manager status afterwards. But it does happen from time to time. So I'm I'm gonna believe the Eagles. They might have taken Nicobe Dean at the second round, uh, with the Jurgens pick. And they end up getting him in the third anyway. Those previous injuries for N'Kobe Dean, yeah, they hampered him so bad. He was the best tight end in college football this year. 
really, really cut down on his production caused all of those previous injuries. Sometimes these teams overthink it. I'm very glad that the Eagles didn't overthink it and took Nicobe Dean. So I just Stone Cold love what the Eagles did in the first three rounds of the draft. But because they did what they did, they didn't have a fourth round pick. Yeah, I mean pick. Yeah. Kyron Johnson, an inside linebacker, after you took Nicobe Dean, really? Yeah, he's not an out, but he's not an inside linebacker. I know a lot of people graded him as that. If you heard Andy White on, people probably tapped out by that point late Saturday night. He he played the edge on uh, at Kansas, um, and he's sort of like an Asan Reddick type player. In fact, he on on his on our Zoom call with him, he compared himself to Asan Reddick. I I said, slow down, buddy. You know, I did. You know, that's the 13th overall pick back in the day. So there's a big difference, but he's that type of player. He's more of an edge rusher, very undersized. Uh, and he's pretty good at it in Kansas. But <clears throat> then how he interjected um, and said he had special 17 special teams tackles. He was a special teams captain. He runs a 4-4. He's a special teams pick. The Eagles were really, really bad. In, in coverage last year. They were really, really bad in special teams, basically. Everything but kicking, where Jake Kelly was great. Um, they couldn't return well. They couldn't cover well. And if you go back to the Eagles' history, it's far from sexy, but you talk about players like Chris Maragos and Brian Brayman. Well, they didn't help you much on defense, but they were great, great special teams player. <laughs> you don't even have to go back far to Rudy Ford who people forget Rudy Ford was tremendous when he was healthy uh, as a special teams player, um, which wasn't often the latter part, but uh, that that's what I think Tehran is here for uh, to be a special teams player. And, and, you know, hopefully he can help as a backup linebacker. Uh, But the way Andy talked about him, he just talked about leverage edge rush. So, that to me means the Eagles are going to project him at Sam linebacker, not not inside linebacker. But you know that's that's a deep backup anyway. Just right now, Hassan Reddick and Patrick Johnson. We'll see if Kyron Johnson can be as big a special teams contributor as the guys you just rattled off in comparison to. They are some of the best special teams players the Eagles had in the last decade and a half. I hope he's that kind of player. I don't know that he's that kind of player yet, as is with a lot of draft picks. It's all projection. And then they come back with a backup tight end, Greg Calcaterra. Why? Uh, he's going to be Well, they need a backup. They need a backup tight end. They're not, uh, they're not comfortable. You know, Jack Stoll did a nice job after the Zach Gertz trade as an undrafted free agent. But there's a lot of caveats in there as an end draft. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's no – there's – not a great upside there. There's not. Um, there's great upside with get Greg Calcaterra. Well, there's more. I would say that Grant Grant Calcaterra. He's also he, he's one of those. Uh, you know, he's another friend of Jalen Hurts, which Jalen Hurts has more friends than anybody else <laughs> I've ever known. More pull, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the one thing because remember, I say all the time, uh, Tyree Jackson tours ACL in Week 18, so. It's a developmental player who doesn't have time to develop in the offseason because he's rehabbing. Um, Jack Stoll, as I mentioned, worst case scenario, you can play him. You still have Richard Rodgers, who they're always looking to replace. 
JJ's trying to make the transition. You can't count on that. So now they have a, a another tight end who knows to play, knows how to play the position. The one thing that bothers me about that pick is because I could see him winning the the second tight end job, but he's more of a flex tight end. And I say this all the time, you know, Dallas Goddard is one of the few tight ends, probably him and uh, George Kittle, a little bit of Mark Andrews um, who can, you know, be more of the old school tight end of, you know, they can play in line, they can block and, and they can go out and flex and be dominant receivers. There aren't a lot of those guys, but you know, because Dallas can do that, and play in line, I think the Eagles do it a little bit too much because he's so explosive as a receiver. Like, I want him to be the flex tight end. And Grant Calcaterra isn't going to be a blocking tight end. So if you're going to play Grant, you're going to have Dallas in line, and I think that that isn't the best way to go about it. So nitpicking, but it, it, it's important. Maybe A.J. Brown, his presence, you know, affords you more opportunity to play Dallas Goddard in line. Um, so it is nitpicking, but I thought it made some sense. They needed, I, they, you know, if they had 10 picks, I knew they were going to draft the tight end at some point. In other words, if they stayed stagnant, they were going to bring one in. Right. But um, they, here's, here's the deal, John. They didn't have 10 picks. They had no, nine. And no, they used that, one on a tight end. But that was one of those positions. And in the seventh round, I guess you're talking about, yeah, they have bigger needs, cornerback and safety. But, you know, at that point, it, it truly is, you know, who do you think is the best player at that point? You know, what what good does it do? And the Eagles ended up signing three undrafted corners. Um, a couple of them had draftable grades. So, you know, you just take the best player in the seventh round. Uh, uh, in the sixth round is where they took Kakatera, which. Uh, uh, seven, sixth round, yeah. So um, that, a little bit earlier, but at late the draft. But I think you've already got cal- at least possible potential backup players. So I gave him an A plus after the first three rounds. A plus, not A, A plus. From there on, and readily admit, part of what allowed you to be A plus was you had to give up draft cal- uh, capital to be able to get those players. I, I don't like either of their picks in the sixth round. And you mentioned the fact that day after free agency, undrafted free agents, they've already inked three cornerbacks. How, how many safeties have they signed? Uh, they signed one in undrafted free agent kid by the name of Reed Blankenship. If you, if you have that middle Tennessee state film, you know, put it in there. So that's what they got it. Reed the Blankenship from Middle Tennessee State, huh? Yeah. Two words. Go Epsi. The way yeah. they're playing this, they, they're making it look like they're perfectly fine with Epsi stepping into the starting role. Not just the third guy, the situational substitution guy, the starting guy. Epsi for the Eagles. How do you just completely ignore the safety position? I know that it's a not as valued position as it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but not a blanket well, we from Tennessee you know, State. That's it, Johnny Mac. Um, you, you know, how he says all the time, and he's right, you know, and he'll bring up, you know, mainly the cornerback position as well with Ronald Darby constantly brings that up in August and, 
um, Steve Nelson last year, two days before camp. I think they're going to bring in another safety. Um, you know, the problem is you already have the Saints weren't able to get a safety, and they're already evidently amping up things with 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 Tyron Mathau. So, um, you know, he's he's a New Orleans kid. I've always said if if he has an opportunity to play in New Orleans, he's going to play in New Orleans. So we'll see how that shakes out. But they'll get somebody somewhere. You know, okay. it's May second. Um, if they had to play a game today, it would be Marcus Epps. And by the way, Marcus Epps is better than people give him credit for. I don't know. He's one of those guys. <clears throat> Eagles fans get upset about. I don't, I don't, he played pretty well. Howie constantly says we like him more than maybe people outside the building. He talks about the room in general. Now, when he brings up and- Andre Sachere, then I roll my eyes. Not Marcus Epps. Marcus can play a little bit. Um, but yeah, they got it. They got it. They still have to add a body. It's at least Marcus Epps did play this past year. Andre Sachere hardly ever got on the field. Epps did actually play. Um, not sure if he's a full time starting safety. I give you one name, Howie. If you're listening, if everybody knows Howie, get this to Howie. Here's the guy who the Eagles could pair in the back with Anthony Harris as their starting safety, Chuck Clark was a starter for the Ravens the last two years, had a pretty damn good year last year. They go out and sign the New Orleans safety, and then because the Eagles jumped them on draft day, they end up with Kyle Hamilton. They've got two potential star safeties, and Chuck Clark was a pretty damn good starting safety for him last year, had like 12 passes defended, had two interceptions, which for the Eagles, uh, the only guy who ever gets any dis- interceptions is uh, Big Play Slay. They could use a little bit of a ball hawk and a combo player. Chuck Clark, I got to believe, is readily available. Um, the Ravens already have their starting safeties. Both are new, and they'll incorporate them, but both of them are star-level type players. How we go out and get Chuck Clark? And you don't have to give up a draft pick for 12 months because there's no more drafts for 12 months. So feel free to go ahead and give up that draft pick because they need to upgrade the safety position. Take your running honey badger. If you can somehow top the Saints and suck them in here to Philadelphia, more power to you. I don't know if they've got the cap wear with all to do so, but if they do, go ahead and do that. If not, be ready to ch- trade for Chuck Clark of the Ravens, guy that the Eagles should be targeting. All right, we're targeting here on Birds 365 our buddy Ian Cummings. He's going to join us next, has been on with us a couple times before the draft. We want to get his after the draft review here with us on Birds 365. stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on Exodus. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today.
field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Lincoln Financial Field is home to more than just our hometown team. It's a landing place for dreams. Invest in the future of our students from all over Philadelphia and get an exclusive tour of the stadium at the Blocks Aspire to Dreams Gala, hosted by Brian Taff of 6ABC. While we aspire to build, our students aspire to dream. Join us for the Blocks Gala on Thursday, May 5th at Lincoln Financial Field. Seats are limited, so reserve yours today at blocks.org slash gala. In Philadelphia, we celebrated the miracle with pride only five years ago. And then the following morning, IBEW Local 98 members went back to work, building this city, rescuing our communities from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are. Like the cats, Local 98 members believe in hope. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and career opportunities with Local 98, visit us, ibew98.org. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Go for the midnight tears. Go for the game. Go for the hits, go for the fans, go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. John McBone, Jody McDonald, your Mac and Mac Birds 365 guys. Lucky enough to get the insights again from Ian Cummings from Pro Football Network, who was good enough to jump on with us a couple times before the draft. He does so here the Monday thereafter. Ian, we're going to get your thoughts on the entire draft. But first things first, Birds, uh, Johnny and I just broke it down for the last 20 minutes. Love what they did in the first three rounds kept themselves a little underwhelmed at the back end because of the cost to get the guys that they got in the fourth round. Putting it all together, Eagles draft, including A.J. Brown. And, yes, I do count that as part of the draft. How much did they improve their football team over the last couple of days? Yeah, they improved a lot. And you have to consider that as part of the draft, the A.J. Brown acquisition, because he's such a talented player and you use draft capital to get him. But, you know, that's a strong receiver who I think fits pretty well with Jalen Hurts. You know, you can get in the short range. You can separate on those slants and get him the ball. He's a very strong runner after the catch. Very tough physical wide receiver. And I like how he complements the other weapons in that unit. But take into account what they did with the rest of the draft, too. Jordan Davis, I talked about it in an article right after they drafted him, like, he was a little bit lower on my board just because I don't think he's an independent pass rusher right now. But I love the fit with the Eagles because what he can do, occupy blocks, free up other defensive linemen. And when you're using those three, four fronts, you know, those odd fronts, you can d- divert more personnel to the back end, which, which can help your secondary as well. So I think there's a symbiotic, cohesive relationship that you can big gain from there. Cameron Jurgens, I loved that pick. I think he can succeed um, Jason Kelsey in the future. You know, he's got the athletic traits for sure. He's a, he's a mauler. He's pretty physical. He's got to improve his play strength. But I do think, you know, give him a year to sit behind him and he could be ready to go in a year or two. And then the Kobe Dean, man, that was a value pick in the, in the third round. We know that he dropped because of medicals, but he was a first round prospect for a lot of people. He was a fringe first round guy on my board and they got him at that point. I really think he can be that glue guy for that linebacker core that they need. You know, he can process, he can communicate, he can get guys in space, but he's also a very uh, proactive playmaker. 
very explosive, very physical, even for his size, a little bit undersized, but he comes in like a missile when he's blitzing, man. So I love that pick. And then the late round picks, you know, a little underwhelming. And obviously, like you said, they did have to trade one pick away uh, for the AJ Brown deal. But I do, I do like the guys that they got on day three. Kyron Johnson in particular is one that I'm very intrigued to see how they use him. Uh, I would have preferred they go corner or safety at some point, but that's something I can get past because I think you accomplished a lot with those first three rounds. Well, now, they did go corner after the draft, and obviously that's not nearly as exciting uh, for fans. But if you look at some of the consensus grades, they got uh, Josh Joby, Lord's uh, a Job, you tell me, Ian, from Alabama. Uh, they were able to get Mario Goodrich from Clemson and uh, third kid, I think, Blackwell from Duke. Um a lot of you know day three grades on on at least uh, Job. What what him and specifically, and if you have any information on those other corners for a team that is looking for help in the secondary, is, is that is that value in the undrafted process? Oh, absolutely. I think with this class in particular, because of the COVID year, seeing a lot of people come back. It was a much deeper class. And so we saw some good players that had draftable grades kind of going undrafted. And, you know, you had the opportunity to sign them there. I really like Josh Job and Mario Goodrich in that range. I think that Job, for me, you know, the one thing, he was always pretty physical and a little over physical at times. And he often relied on it and drew a lot of penalties, kind of sloppy with his technique. Not the most fluid guy, but he's long. Again, he's physical. You know, I'd rather have an over tenacious corner who I can kind of teach to hone that physicality than a guy who's naturally passive because that can be a little harder to teach. So he's got that alpha mentality, that chip on his shoulder, which I absolutely love. And I think that you could teach him to kind of hone his traits a little bit because he's got the length. He's got the ball skills with Goodrich, you know, not quite as long and not super fluid. I think Andrew Booth was considerably more athletic than him. But Goodrich is still a pretty good athlete. He's got pretty good size. Uh, the one thing that I love about his game is that he comes downhill and runs sport. He's very physical there, very proactive. And again, that kind of shows up at the catch point where he's willing to kind of get in the receiver's grill and make those plays. So I think those are two guys that have the physical traits and Blackwell as well. You know, he tested very well at his pro day. I can't remember the exact numbers. But I, I know he ran well. It was Yeah, I think he was in the 4-3. Yeah. So he's yeah. another guy who's got that size, speed, athleticism you like to think. You know, if he gets into an NFL camp and has some time to hone his traits, maybe he sticks around as well. So I think for what they weren't able to do in the NFL draft, getting, at, uh, you know, improving the corner position, I think they kind of compensated for that, as you said, with that undrafted free agent pool. All right, get your uh, safety grades out. Got to go down the list, little list a bit because uh, we're talking <laughs> about undrafted again. Uh, what did your read on Reed Blankenship? look like from a <laughs> middle Tennessee state. It was the big Eagle edition. It's safety in the undrafted free agent category. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He's an interesting one. I know he was, uh, he's got a lot of experience starting experience from mid Tennessee state. I know he tested pretty well athletically, not a top end speed guy, but has that explosiveness that you want to play too high, maybe coming to the box a little bit. He's got a pretty strong frame. So I look at him, you know, he's got a pretty well-rounded profile. So I think as long as he holds up, you know, athletically against these NFL athletes, there's a good chance that maybe he sticks around. I think with his ability to come downhill and tackle can have a high floor as a special teamer right away. And that might be how he makes the roster initially. But with his experience and his athleticism, I could see him maybe carving out a role in the future, you know, maybe one to two to three years down the road. I think he's got the physical talent for sure. And, you know, he's not completely raw from the mental side, obviously, you know, having that experience, he was able to kind of build up that recognition, that intelligence, 
And I think, honestly, he was one of the more underrated safeties in the draft. With how deep this draft was, you know, it's not super surprising to me that he went undrafted. But he could be one of those guys where we look down the road and, you know, one of those safeties who, you know, on, they start undrafted, they start as a special teamer, kind of work their way up, and eventually, you know, take meaningful snaps on defense. So I thought of all, all things considered, and I know – the Eagles tried to get Marquise Bell from Florida A&M yeah, before he went did. to the Cowboys yeah. as well. That would have been an excellent undrafted free agent signing as well. But I think Blankenship is a pretty good consolation prize because he's got the experience, he's got the athleticism, mm -hmm. all the tools that you need to, I think, stick around and eventually kind of grow into that bigger role. See, there you go, Jody. The Eagles spent a lot of money right, wait, wait, on wait, undrafted wait, wait, free agents. Time out Philadelphia. How is experience at Middle Tennessee State considered better, a positive? It's better than to no me, experience. That sounds like a guy Tennessee who had to stick State. around for five years just to merit being thought about right. by an NFL team. That's a negative, not a positive. It's better than not playing at Middle Tennessee State. Look at it that way. Yeah, a lot of. <laughs> I'll, I'll sit. On, I'll sit on the fence in this one. I do think yeah. you know. On one hand, you'd like him to kind of take the leap up, but hey, all football experience is good experience. You know, exactly. whether if you're, in, if you're in the heat of the moment, no matter and it what. Is. It yeah, is, exactly. but I mean, if you look at, we were talking before some of the, the two six round picks, Cameron Johnson, Grant Calcaterra, um, you know, at that point you, you do have a significant needed corner or safety. I was just trying to point out, you take the best player at that point. And then in undrafted free agency, they were kind of able to make up for it because if you take a Josh Job in the six round, nobody's going to blink. Um, yeah, for sure. It's, I don't, it's all I don't, about the value. Yeah. I don't know about uh, Blankenship. You would know better than me. But if he were a sixth round pick, I don't. I don't know. If people would go crazy. So, um, you know, if you're able to get these players after the draft, it's interesting how pedigree matters so much to people. If you're a draft choice versus an undrafted kid, but we'll see how that shakes out. I want to get back to the players that the fans are more excited about, and it starts at the top. You mentioned a little bit, but I want to dive deeper with you, Ian. With with Jordan Davis, because I'm with you, he affects so many different things, and particularly for this team, because Jonathan Gannon told me specifically, I mean, they they need a, a zero technique. They need a one technique. They need somebody that can take on two blockers and open up things for the other defensive linemen. Then you put on the Georgia tape, and you watch him, and you watch immediately Nicobe Dean making all those plays, and you look, oh, who's in front of him taking up two blockers a lot of the time uh, is Jordan Davis. Uh, and you mentioned the things you can do in coverage and how that helps kind of, kind of talk about how those three uh, bits come together with a player like Jordan Davis. Yeah. So obviously, you know, you talk about what he can do for a defense. I think that's the most important thing to consider here, because as we've said, you know, and one reason that he graded a little bit lower for me, is that when you look at how he creates independently as a pass rusher, it's not quite there yet. The pad level can be a little tough to regulate for him being as big as he is. I mean, 6'6", 340, there's going to be some issues there for sure. And the hand usage still kind of coming along. Uh, so as a you know independent player in that phase, that bumped him down a little bit. But you look at what he can do already. All right. This guy is an elite run defender already. He's an elite two gapper already. You put him right at the zero tech. Like you said, he can occupy that block. He can cover both gaps. And he's got the play strength to shift from one gap to another in rapid succession, close those lanes before they open. Uh, so that ability in itself, you know, that upper body torque, the elite play strength and, and, you know, and power is just insane with this guy. But then as a pass rusher, too, you know, not necessarily an independent pass rusher, but being able to take on two blockers because, you know, you're not stopping them with one. 
You know, he, he's not quite the refined pass rushing threat right now, but it's just tough to stop a guy that big, that athletic one-on-one, even if he's not the most refined player. And we know there's ways that he can kind of improve. Like he ran in the four sevens at six, six, three forty. He doesn't quite channel that athleticism super effectively right now. But again, I mean, if you're one-on-one with this guy, especially with a center, which they're usually considerably smaller than he is, right? It's going to be tough to hold him back with that straight line power that he has with his long arms, with that explosiveness. So usually you're going to have to have two blockers on him. So that can free up the three-tack for one-on-one opportunities. I love it because I think, you know, if you have a three-man thrown as well, you know, you look at N'Kobe Dean. This was a guy who produced a lot. I think he was George's leading sack producer for a while on that defense, you know, with all the talent that they had, he was the leading sacker. You know why? Because Jordan Davis clearing those pass and allowing the Kobe Dean to rush straight through and get to the quarterback with that elite explosive burst that he has. And when he encounters blockers too, like the running back trying to chip him, he's very physical. I know he's a little undersized and that made a play to hand in his descent a little bit along with the medicals, but he plays a lot bigger than his friend. He's like an energized, you know, he's like a ball of energy out there. He's just always you know, giving 100%, you know, being super physical and exerting that physicality on top of that speed that he has. And I think that with the Eagles, you can get creative too. You know, Kyron Johnson is another player, right? I mean, you got three-man front. Let's say you got Jordan Davis, Milton Williams, Fletcher Cox, and then you can put Kyron out on the outside. He stunts inside. He's got elite closing bursts too. And as a senior bowl, we saw him convert speed to power so well. So he can get right into yeah, the Yeah, he did Trevor back. Penning fits. Yeah. Everybody was talking about it. Exactly. Yeah. He's a first-round pick. This yeah. is a guy who's six foot 230, giving fits to a guy who's, you know, six seven three thirty, 330, right? So 100 pounds on the guy. And Kyron Johnson is moving him back and making him, you know, making him submit. So it's it was a lot of fun to watch. But you look at Kyron Johnson, I think that's exactly the way to use him. He's got the athleticism to work in space. But he's got the speed to power, too, where he can pack a punch and he can pave open those lanes. And then maybe the Kobe Dean coming on the twist stunt behind him. I mean, it's 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 I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. I think Jonathan Gannon being a creative defensive coordinator, he would, too. I think Jordan Davis, while he's not the most exciting player on his own, just his presence, his pure presence opens you up to so many different things. Uh, I want to jump back over to the offense. Good to know Jonathan Gannon's going to have these bullets to fire this year with the Eagles in their front seven. Uh, Eagles in the second round took Cameron Jurgens. We talked about leading up to the draft. Uh, Tony Pauline told me that he was the best center in the draft, better than Linderbaum. Uh, there were good rumors going around. The Eagles really liked him. Well, they did. They took him in the second round. He is certainly the heir apparent to Jason Kelsey at center. But last year, they took Dickerson, who was going to be the heir apparent to Jason Kelsey at center. And then the Eagles guards started dropping like flies, and they moved him out. And damn if he didn't do a phenomenal job at guard for the Eagles and now projects to be at the guard position for the next decade or so. What happens if another Eagle guard goes down this year? And Kelsey's perfectly fine at center. And they look at Jurgen standing there and going, well, you know, he's an actual better football player than the guys who might be trying to plug in. If they need him at right or left guard because of injury purposes, you think they'll move Jurgens? Is he capable of being moved? Can he do what Dickerson did last year and flex out and hold down the fort? Or do you think they're just going to have him redshirt this year behind uh, Kelsey? That's an interesting question. And, you know, off the top of my head, I'd say I'm not sure. You know, maybe we'll see. I know he played center for pretty much his entire career at Nebraska, but he came over as a tight end. He was a tight end. He was a lead blocker in high school at times, too. So he came over from that background, just, you know, having that moving ability. You can move him around, let him kind of lead the running back and kind of use him as that piece 
to now at Nebraska being that fulcrum of the offensive line, that was pretty much the role that he maintained for his entire tenure at Nebraska. Now, can he play guard? You know, I don't want to rule it out because one thing that, you know, encouraged me was at the NFL Combine. I know in college he was, I think, around 290. He came in over 300 at the NFL Combine and still retained the insane athleticism that he does have. So I think there is a scenario where you can move him to guard. I, I think you take some lumps there initially because he is a little bit smaller than your traditional guard. And that's one reason why Landon Dickerson, you know, had that position of yeah. flexibility is because he's a big dude. You know, he's a big dude. Yeah. He's a physical dude. Jurgens isn't dude. like any of these guys that you look at. If you stand next to them, they're not small. Right. But Jurgens comparing him to the average guard might be a little undersized, the frame a little more, you know, lean, a little more compact than you're used to seeing. And the arms are a little bit shorter. I could see that impacting him against those defensive tackles on the outside, you know, a three, four eye tech. So, you know, I think it, it's something that could impact him, but he's got. He's an insane athlete. I mean, I think he had a 1-7, 10-yard split, which is just absurd for a center. You know, this guy's accelerating very quickly off the line. He's such an effortless mover in space. And, you know, as a moving blocker, as a lead blocker out in open field, he can maul guys. He can, you know, bar- barrel through. And I-, I love that part of his game. So I think, you know, you could put him there potentially. And I love that he's in a offensive line room with Jason Kelsey, with other experienced veterans, because I do think, you know, it's a great scenario for him to learn over the next year. If you need to put him in there, I, I won't rule it out. I'll say he's probably more natural as a center, but I do think the elite athleticism can open a lot of doors for you. All right, Andy, you're probably going to be doing this too much over the, the coming week. Uh, and it's silly, so I'm going to put that caveat on there. But uh, we got to talk winners and losers overall. Uh, with the NFL draft, uh, you know, from my perspective, obviously in the first round, you know, the New York Giants added significant talent. They should have uh, when you have two top 10 picks. Jody's New York Jets did a heck of a job and they should have with two top 10 picks and then getting Jermaine Johnson as well. Um, I got to tell you, I was at the Novacare complex all weekend and every time I looked up, the Baltimore Ravens were taking another good player. I, I I don't know what it is about that team, uh, but I call them the smartest team in the NFL. They just make good decisions. Fourth round, I think they had the half, half of the fourth round, and they managed to get good players. Uh, your thoughts on the Ravens and and the best drafts as as a whole. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned winners and losers because the first team that popped in my head was the Ravens. I mean, like if you were going to ask me which team to choose, like that's what it would have been. I think the Ravens really nailed the entire draft. I think looking at their haul, you know, as a whole, first off in round one, getting Kyle Hamilton at 14, Tyler Linderbaum at 25. You know, I do think that, you know, Hamilton, that's a perfect fit for him because they signed Marcus Williams in free agency. He's that rangy center fielder. You can bring him up top and cover and cover one. But then at the same time, Hamilton, he can play too high. He can go into the box, 6'4", 220, very explosive, very physical. He's got the instincts. So I love the fit there. And I think that if there's any you know situation where Hamilton's physical tools can be maximized, I think Baltimore's it. Now, Linderbaum, you know, putting him at center, I love that as well. I think they had Patrick McCarry uh, kind of penciled in there. But McCarry's got that positional versatility. You can move him wherever you need him to go, and he can be a good player. And they got Philele at right tackle later on which I think in round four is very good value. You know, he's a guy who's got absurd size. that You can mold him up a little bit. So I loved that part of their draft. And then on day two, getting Travis Jones, getting David Ajabo. I mean, those guys are wreckers. I know we were talking about Travis Jones before the draft. And I love Jordan Davis and Travis Jones, both of them for what they offer. But my preference, simply because of the independent pass rushing upside, you know, I'd almost prefer Travis Jones in round two to Jordan Davis in round one because Travis Jones, he's got the play strength. He's got the size. He can two gap. He can anchor guys. 
but he's also a very good pass rusher with that explosiveness, that lateral agility, the violent hands. So I think for the Baltimore Ravens in particular, using those hybrid fronts, I really love what Jones can do, not just freeing up other defenders, but playing for himself as well and creating pressure for himself. And then David Ajabo, you know, with the Achilles injury, might not be available right away, but, you know, has that upside that I'd be willing to bank on. I think in a year, you know, him opposite Adave Oa could be an absolutely menacing edge rushing duo. So I love that fit as well. Even around four, like you said, they got some very good value deals. Jalen Armour Davis, a corner from Alabama, was one guy that I was a big fan of, and I had the chance to interview him uh, earlier in the cycle, and he really impressed me. You know, it's a very technically sound, technically oriented corner. You know, you ask him about his technique and what goes into it. He gives you a long paragraph answer, like, you know, talking <laughs> about the little details and stuff. So you can tell that his mind is focused on football, and he's very, you know, he's very detail-oriented in that sense. But you watch the tape, too. He's six foot one. He can run a four three nine. You know, he's improving as a playmaker. So, you know, I think he's exactly the type of corner that the Ravens can maximize and eventually have him break out as a starter. Isaiah Likely, Charlie Kolar, Tyler Beatty, a lot of value deals for the Ravens on that front. So if I had to pick an all-out winner, you know, just above everyone else, it would probably be the Ravens. But, you know, some of the teams that you mentioned, I think the Jets especially, you know, they only had, you know, round picks in the first four rounds. But I think they did a great job with what they had you know, getting Garrett Wilson, Ahmad Gardner, Jermaine Johnson. Jermaine Johnson was a top 10 player on my board. He fell to 26 and they got him. So I think he's probably the most well-rounded edge rusher in this draft. And so you look at what he can do for them there. Absolutely a huge fan of that. Brees Hall, a great compliment to Michael Carter in round two. Uh, and then Jeremy Rucker later on. I know they had a few other guys as well. So I'm a big fan of what the Jets were able to do with what they had. You know, I probably would have traded back into rounds five through seven, tried to get a couple more guys just because I love draft picks. It's a problem that I have. But you know, I do think overall, I think they had they had a very good draft. And I was a big fan of what they added, especially in those first two rounds. Now, and I want to ask you about two specific teams. And there's a reason for both of them. Uh, the first is the Jacksonville Jaguars, who John from time to time likes to pimp a little bit because he's tight with uh, their head of player personnel, the uh, owner's son. Um, that's Doug Peterson's new team. And apparently they've got a lot of faith in Doug because they didn't draft any offense. They drafted one offensive player, a running back, and that's it. Other than that, they built up their defense, and I think they got some serious talent on their defense. When you got the first overall pick, you know you're adding a potential superstar-type player. How would you trade the Jaguars draft? Yeah, it's an interesting conversation to have. And I think, as you said, a lot of it kind of depends on what happens with Trayvon Walker at number one overall. Obviously, you know, a very talented player when you run a 4 5 one at 6'5", 271 with 35-inch arms. I mean, that's going to give you a lot right there. The problem is, you know, the hand usage needs a lot of refinement. He doesn't quite have the operational refinement that you'd expect from a number one pick. Now, having said that, I do think, you know, he's already a very good run defender with his power capacity, his ability to anchor and wrench guys down, you know, deconstruct blocks. And as a pass rusher, too, you know, while he might not be able to independently create on his own off the edge right now, uh, he can be that, you know, that guy that you just throw around to different alignments because he can play just about anywhere. And that straight line power is devastating for offensive linemen. So I love the potential there. And if it was down to him or Aiden Hutchinson, I would go with Trayvon Walker just because I think the ceiling is a lot higher there. So I think if you can coach him up, he can be a very good player. Now, where where else they got? You know, I think Devin Lloyd played around one was a big fan of that, that move to trade up for him because he was one of my top linebackers, uh, along with Chad Muma, who they also got later on. You know, So I think getting my top two linebackers, personally, both guys with length, you know, instincts, athleticism, I do think Muma is a little bit better deconstructing blocks and, and stacking and shedding an open field 
but both guys have that explosiveness in the second level where they can make plays, you know, both very instinctive players. So them playing alongside each other and then Foyasade Oluokun, you know, at, at linebacker at the other spot for Jacksonville. Love what they got there. You know, I think that was a good pick. They also got Luke Fortner at center at the top of round three. And I think that was a pretty good pick. I was late getting to center, getting to Fortner on, on tape. I got, got to him late March, I think. But I was very impressed with what he has to offer. I think he ran, you know, a 10-yard split in the one sevens. So he's got good athleticism, but you watch him on tape. You know, he's got very good knee bend. He's got very good natural leverage, uh, tight hands. You know, he's got good hand replacement. So when you when you have a center, you always want to see them working those hands to kind of stimmy power rushes. And I think Fordner does a good job of that. Great hip flexibility to, you know, shift from one gap to the other and, and seal off lanes for running backs. So, you know, I do think after Brandon Linder, Brandon Linder retired, you know, they do have a potential need there. They like Tyler Shatley. But I think getting Fortner in there, and he's not just a center, too. He's played guard before. So having that interior versatility at the very least, that depth, I think was a good move for the Jaguars. So overall, in the first three rounds, I thought they did a very good job. I think also, you know, they got Snoop Connor, Gregory Jr., Montariq Brown in on day three. So, you know, some other pretty solid picks. I'd probably give it a B plus, right? I, I think we need to see how Trayvon Walker develops, right? And I wasn't, you know, head over heels for the day three picks. I liked them. I didn't love them. But those picks kind of carry a little less weight. Usually you're trying to hit a home run with your early round picks. And I do think they did a very good job, especially, you know, Trayvon Walker, the upside kind of gives him a little bit of a boost, right? You got to see how he performs, but just getting that guy in your room can be a very big boost for you. And then at linebacker, getting Devin Lloyd and Chad Muma, that can be a crazy second level unit that I'm very watch excited out, to see. Watch out for Gregory uh, Jr. from Ojeda Baptist. That was one of our buddy Rick Saratella's guys. Loved him. Had him in his all-star game out in the the left coast and talked him up a blue streak. And sure enough, he went in the sixth round. So I do like the Jags draft a lot. I'm with you. I think it was one of the top four or five drafts overall. Top heavy on defense. And if I'm Trevor Lawrence, I'm going, wait, wait. You realize you used the first overall pick on me, right? You got me no offensive weapons. But I do like what they did. How about the other ex-Eagle coach? I really like what the Chiefs did, too. Do you like the Chiefs draft this year? What kind of grade would you throw on it? Yeah, their draft was pretty interesting. And I, I think the first round, obviously, uh, Trent McDuffie was the first pick. And that's one you got to think about a little bit, correct? Because usually at the corner position, they like longer guys on the boundary. That's kind of Steve, Steve Spagnuolo's staple, right? His long physical enforcer, right? Trent McDuffie, arms under 30 inches. So not something you typically expect there. But Trent McDuffie is a smart guy. This was a guy who in high school, uh, he transferred to St. John Bosco before his final year. And by the time the season started, he was playing the slot. You know, he's taking on slot responsibilities. He's moving around, which when you're immediately arriving, just learning the scheme, that's very impressive. He picks up things very quickly. We saw that same thing at Washington. Right when he came in, true freshman, started over 10 games and was productive, right? So this is a guy, you know, you can bring right in and you can move him around. So I could see them maybe using him in a similar way to Tyron Matthew. We've seen people say that he translates pretty well at safety in the slot. I think you can move McDuffie all around the field. He's got very good short area athleticism, very good explosiveness. He's a physical dude. He's willing to come downhill and tackle and run support. Uh, So I love the pick. and I think he can be that glue guy for a secondary that needs it after they lost Matthew. You know, later on in round one, getting George Karloftis, I think, you know, that was about where I would have had him. You know, I think that's a pretty good value for him, getting that power rusher. He's got a 38-inch vertical. He doesn't always show that explosiveness off the line. But I do think, you know, using that, you know, he can kind of glean more with an NFL training program. He's got heavy hands. He's pretty powerful at the point of attack. So, you know, I like that aspect of it. 
Going down to day two, Sky Moore, one of my guys from Western Michigan. I'm very excited to see how they use him. He's a violent route runner if there was ever one. You know, those releases, he can get he can get displacements so quickly uh, with his movements, very explosive in the short ranges. I don't think he quite plays to that 4 one speed that he, that he tested with. But, again, I think he has enough speed where he can stretch open space, and he's an alpha. I mean, this guy plays tough. Yeah, the ball comes his way. He's bringing it down, and, you know, he can get some run after catch yards too. Brian Cook was an interesting one from Cincinnati. You know, I think – he probably translates best as a box safety. I don't think he's that all-out versatile guy. But if you have a guy who can play cover one, center fielder, bring Brian Cook down into the box in the slot, and he can be very physical. He's a very good tackler downhill. When the ball comes his way, he can make plays too. So I like that pick. I think if they know how to use it, and they do have a lot of mixing and matching pieces in that secondary where they can make it work. And then the last pick of day two, Leo Chanel. That was a pick that I really liked for the value. He's around 6'3", 255. This guy's a brick house. I mean, he he hits you very hard. Uh, he's more of a two-down linebacker. He doesn't quite have the lateral agility that I would want for, uh, you know, to, to play on third downs, playing coverage consistently. But I do think, you know, on those early downs, this is a guy, he's a homing missile in the box. I mean, he's super physical. He engages blockers with a ton of force. And he's very, very instinctive, too. You know, he knows how to use his short-range explosiveness to surge through gaps and make tackles. So I think... Leo Chanel, especially with Willie Gay and Nick Bolton, I think he complements those other linebackers very well. So I was a big fan of that. And then, you know, elsewhere, too, I think the Chiefs did pretty good on day three. One pick that I was a very big fan of was Isaiah Pacheco later on. Rutgers running back. I think he's a very good athlete for his size, around 5'10", 5'11", 216 pounds, I think. So he's got a dense frame for sure. And you look at how he was used at Rutgers, you know, sometimes motions, but mainly out of the backfield. But he's a fast guy. Once he gets into open space, very tough to catch. You know, he can he accelerates quickly and he can use that to kind of stretch spaces and kind of manipulate tackling angles. And he's pretty physical too. He, he can, you know, keep those legs churning through contact. So overall, I thought it was a very good draft for the Chiefs. They kind of nailed the first two days and then got some good value on day three. I'm all for it. Uh, before we let you out of here, Ian, we got to get your thoughts uh, on the NFC East as a whole besides the Eagles. But uh, at Ian underscore Cummings underscore nine, you see it right there on the screen. Follow Ian on Twitter. You can just listen to him. I always say for five minutes, you know what he's talking about. ProFootballNetwork.com. You can read him there. Um, interesting, the NFC East. You have Jerry Jones. He showed you his, his board. Uh, you had Tyler Smith at the top when they were up. Uh, the commanders, we all knew they wanted a receiver, but they go down and get Jahan Dotson. That was uh, interesting. And then the Giants obviously got tremendous help on both sides of the football. That's how the Eagles have been building their teams for years. And now the Eagles, uh, the Giants, excuse me, have Brandon Brown as their, as Joe Schoen's assistant. So maybe there's some Eagles. Uh, sort of flavor to the way they went about their top 10 picks. But your thoughts about the other NFC East teams? Yeah, and I'll go really quickly for this because I know we got a lot of ground to cover for them. But uh, Washington, yeah. the first one, uh, I used to write for Washington. So I kind of have a, you know, I, I, I'm a little closer to them, right? So I kind of watch, see what they're doing. And I was kind of up and down on their draft. Uh, trading down, I liked getting the extra value. First round, mid first round was a little high for Jahan Dotson for me. I love the player. I do think he, I want to him get a little bit stronger he's got a lighter frame i want to see him against press a little more often didn't encounter press very much and didn't really succeed against it at penn state so but he's explosive he's got throttle control very good vertical leaping ability very good hands so i think at the very least can be a Terry mclaurin type threat very consistent just not sure if the dynamic upside is there in a physical nfl you know moving down the list 
Fedarian Mathis was kind of a big reach for me in round two. And I understand they had to add to the defensive line. I do like that Mathis is alignment versatile. He can two-gap if you need him to. can play one tech and play three tech. Uh, but I don't know. I just The elite athleticism isn't quite there with him. He's got good bursts, right, but not very agile laterally. He can be a little stiff to recover. You know, he's got violent hands. He's got a hot motor. So I do think he's got a high floor. I just, the, I, I'd rather shoot for the stars with another pick there. So I thought that was a pretty big reach. And I know they love Alabama defensive tackles. So that might have played a hand in it. I, I never liked helmet scouting for better or worse. I think you got to stick to what the player offers. And I do think Mathis in round three or early round four would have been a good get. But round two was a little too high for me. Brian Robinson, though, round three. And I get that they wanted to add a running back because Antonio Gibson. Not quite that, you know, not quite that pure runner. You know, the vision isn't always there with him. Brian Robinson was one of my guys. He was my RB3. So I do like that pick a lot. Physical, good footwork, good patience. Uh, he, fin he finishes downhill very well. He's got pretty underrated bursts, too. So I think he's a pretty good player who could go on to be a solid starter for them. I realize I've talked about Washington for probably three minutes already. So I'll wrap <laughs> it up here. But Sam Howell, uh, I think, was a very good value pick in round five. I didn't have a round one grade on him. I didn't have a round one grade on any quarterback in this class. But I think Sam Howell, you know, he has some developmental tools getting behind Carson Wentz, and he can, be, he, can, he can be a good player. So I'm interested to see how that tracks for them. But the Giants was another one. You know, I thought they nailed the first round. Outside of the first round, maybe a few reaches in there. You know, I think Cordell Flott on day two was a pretty big reach. He's pretty underweight for the NFL level. Not sure how he's going to deal with physicality. Joshua Azuedu, you know, I do like his potential for North Carolina, a slight reach for me. So I think those day two picks, you know, slight reaches, but I think they did enough in round one, getting Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal, where I'm probably going to overlook a lot of that. And then on day three, I thought they made some pretty good picks with their day three picks. I think if I can scroll down here, because I've got a lot of names. Yeah, Marcus McKeith and Darian Beavers in round six as well. I love the versatility that he provides at running at linebacker. So I like that for sure. And then the Cowboys, you know, I think I wasn't head over heels for their draft either. Round one was a little too high for Tyler Smith. I like him. I like the upside for sure. I think he translates a little bit better at guard right away. You know, if you're looking for him to start right away, the technique is pretty messy from him right now, but he's very physical, very athletic, very powerful. So the upside is there for sure. Sam Williams in round two. Talent-wise, he's a round two guy. There's some off-field character stuff for him, but we've known the Cowboys are willing to take chances on that. So that was a pretty solid pick talent-wise. You know, I think he's got to answer for some stuff off the field, but, you know, at his max projection can be that disruptive edge that you're looking for. All the physical tools are there. Jalen Tolbert, round three, another pick that I really liked. You know, I do think that was the right value for him. Was a dominant producer in the Sun Belt at South Alabama. He's got great body control, great athleticism. I'd like to see him a little more consistent with his hands, but he's a guy who I think the Cowboys can develop and coach up and have him be that next receiving threat for them. And then day three, I thought they did pretty well on day three with their picks. One pick in particular that I really liked for them was Jake Ferguson, tight end out of Wisconsin. I think, um, you know, he's got good size, 6'5", 250. But uh, he's a pretty good athlete, too, a little bit better than he tested, I think. I think he's got pretty good lateral agility, you know, stop-start ability as a route runner. But then when he gets the ball after the catch, one of the better run-after-catch tight ends in this class as well. And then he's a good blocker. He brings great effort as a blocker. So, Overall, you know, I thought the NFC East did pretty good. You know, I think the Eagles had the best draft out of them. And I'm not just I'm not just trying to get brownie points. Yeah, yeah I, I know. Do, I do, no, I do think people. the Eagles had the had yeah. the best draft. I think Washington and 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 um, you know the Giants kind of sacrificed value at a couple spots. Then the Cowboys came in second, had a pretty solid draft overall. But again, Tyler Smith in round one. You know, I get it for the upside, but pretty big reach on my board. All right, Ian. Very specific last question. Because John and I had fun with this talking about it before the draft. 
and now you can put it into a little better perspective after the draft. We know it wasn't a good quarterback draft. Kenny Pickett goes first, only one in the first round, and then everybody drops all the way down to uh, the third round thereafter. We kind of debated a little bit, uh, Malik Willis and Matt Corral. Both went in the third round, surprisingly further down than both were expected, at least for mine. Didn't think either one was a first-round draft. And we said it will probably be dictated who's going to have the better NFL career by where they fall and who they land with. Malik Willis ends up in Tennessee, where I'm not a big Tannehill fan, so he can go in and compete, but Tannehill's at least a proven starter. Sam Darnold isn't even that in Carolina, where Matt Corral ended. Factoring in the players around them, the coaching staffs and the like, four years from now, five years from now, who's going to have accomplished more? Malik Willis in Tennessee or Matt Corral in Carolina? That's a really tough question, man. It's it's very interesting because I think both quarterbacks were guys to me that have the upside but also really lack the floor. You know, you look at the tape for different reasons. I think Malik Willis, you know, explosive athlete, very good arm for sure, elite creation capacity. But on tape, you know, a lot of things they need to work on, the field vision, the processing, the decision-making, all pretty substandard. I would have liked to see more from him there. With Matt Corral, you know, it's kind of different because the Ole Miss offense restricted him so much in 2021. A lot of RPO, a lot of one-read throws. And when he was asked to go through his progressions and be a full-field progression quarterback, you know, that was where he really slowed up, did not progress from read to read very well. You know, so I think with both of them, there's a lot to work on. And I think it's a realistic scenario that neither really breaks out as a full-time starter. So, you know, it's a lot of projection for sure. Looking at the scenarios, too, neither team is – I'm not super stoked about either situation for them. I think with the Panthers, they did improve the offensive line a little bit, getting Ikema Kwanu, some some really good day three picks as well there. But I do think with the Panthers, you know, the receiving core, they got DJ Moore, they got, they got a few guys there. But I would have liked to see more. I think Matt Corral especially, you know, he's a guy who if you put him in right away, it might be rough just because he can't really progress very quickly. You know, the mechanics can erode a little bit under pressure, and I don't – I'm still not in love with that offensive line. But with the Titans too, you know, I don't love that offensive line either. I think they could have done a little bit more. Nicholas Petit-Frere was the guy that they got. I think if he starts right away, it could be trouble because he's kind of mechanically deficient right now. So with the, there's questions for all of them. And also trading away A.J. Brown, getting Traylon Burks, obviously – kind of makes up for the difference but not not nearly 100 percent. aj brown is i think the far better player right now that you know that tracks but if i had to guess i would say malik willis just because i think malik willis has slightly better creation capacity his frame is a little bit denser right so i think with him you know and he's got a stronger arm as well so i think the physical tools for me would probably weigh malik willis a little bit more i do understand that corral might have an opportunity to start a little bit earlier but I think that can work just to his detriment because I don't think he's ready to start right away. So if he does start earlier than Willis, it might be something that, you know, causes him to collapse and kind of break him. So I'm a little worried to see how it works out for both of them. But if I had to pick one, you know, I think Malik Willis is in a situation that affords him a little more time to, you know, sit and learn behind Ryan Tannehill. Maybe the Titans move on from Tannehill next year and move on to Willis. That would be a healthy situation for me. Whereas I can see a scenario for Corral where he's thrust into the starting role midseason before he's ready and you know we've seen that break young quarterbacks before i think you could argue it broke sam Darnold, you know a few years ago so one of those things where it's dangerous it's precarious but if i had to pick one probably malik willis ian great stuff we appreciated you coming on with us before the draft certainly giving us the full 40 minutes today uh, we will be back in touch because before you know it the eagles are going to be looking at a quarterback and next year no i didn't say that i didn't say that i'm a jalen hurts guy i believe in jalen hurts we'll see how it plays out 
Uh, Ian, great stuff. Thank you much for hopping on with us as uh, often as you had the last Thank one. Thank you, Brad. It's always we'll a pleasure back. to talk to you guys. Thanks, Ian. That is Ian Cummings from uh, ProFootballNetwork.com. Uh, good dude. And, man, is he precise in his evaluation of these players. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's amazing. It, it's amazing you bring up Reed Blankenship, and he's like, bang, bang, bang. Uh, yeah. It, 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 you know, um, and he was tremendous. We had him on a couple times, as you mentioned. You had him on CBS as well, I believe. Uh, he's one of those up-and-coming uh, draft guys. And I, I think, you know, we have so many good ones. I don't, I don't want to say that because we have so many good ones. But I, I, I will say he is the the best up-and-coming draft guy I've seen in, in many, many years. He did a great job for us, and we thank him for it. We'll come back, continue to evaluate the Eagles draft. We've got our buddy Paul Domwich, who's going to join us now in only about 15 minutes on Birds 365. <clears throat> stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Lincoln Financial Field is home to more than just our hometown team. It's a landing place for dreams. Invest in the future of our students from all over Philadelphia and get an exclusive tour of the stadium at the Blocks Aspire to Dreams Gala, hosted by Brian Taff of 6ABC. While we aspire to build, our students aspire to dream. Join us for the Blocks Gala on Thursday, May 5th at Lincoln Financial Field. Seats are limited, so reserve yours today at blocks.org slash gala. In Philadelphia, we celebrated the miracle with pride only five years ago. And then the following morning, IBEW Local 98 members went back to work, building this city, rescuing our communities from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are. Like the cats, Local 98 members believe in hope. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and career opportunities with Local 98, visit us, ibew98.org. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Go for the midnight tears. Go for the game. Go for the hits, go for the fans, go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com.
J-Mac and J-Mac. Jody McDonald, Jim McMullen here with you on Birds 365. Again, thanks to Ian Cummings for hopping on board and breaking down to the nth degree the NFL draft over the last couple of days. Uh, Want to be able to add to that conversation. One thing we didn't touch on at the top before we touched uh, base with Ian Cummings, John, was the Eagles trading during the draft current Eagle players. We did a lot of speculating on it prior to could Andre Dillard be dealt? Would anyone take Jalen Rager off the Eagles' hands? The answer to both those questions turned out to be no. They're both still here on the Eagle roster. Jalen Rager was none too pleased with the addition of A.J. Brown. He went the, I'm wiping the team off all my social media. Yeah, No more, how about that? No more uh, yeah. Twitter mentions. Block me, Rager. too. I, he blocked a bunch of people. Did he? Um, did yeah. You? Uh, did he block yeah, I got blocked. I got blocked. Oh, uh, damn. That's it. Because I think I've been pretty fair to Jalen. But generally, these things are uh, ma- mass blocks. But I've always advocated. I think I've done it on the show. I think Jalen's one of those guys that's got to get off social media. Because he's, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, toxic uh feedback on social media i mean you know that jody i know that we all know that you gotta have a thick skin and and and, you know it's times a hundred thousand for a professional athlete i mean they just get crushed on a daily basis um and some guys uh aren't good with it and you know my advice to the for them is always just ignore it, get off it, don't bother with it. But it's really difficult with this generation. They grew up with it. Uh, it's part of their lives. Um, and he's a guy in the past that has ping pong back and forth and deleted his Twitter account, brought it back. And, and it's like, you know, that should tell you something, dude, just get off. But, um, it, you know, he obviously wants out and, and, you know, the Eagles, it's interesting because how he said after the draft, he's part of the team. He's, you know, he's going to be a part. That's the plan, blah, 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 which is not true because, again, don't listen to the words. Uh, watch the actions. And, you know, they traded for A.J. Brown. Um, they signed Zach Pascal. Right now, you know, at best, at best, Jalen Rager's the wide receiver five on this team. And you could argue, you know, maybe Greg Ward can uh, inch in front of him at some point as well. So at best, he's wide receiver five. They've been looking for an, a returner and signed the kid from Utah, not drafted free agency. He was a really good returner. Um, they they did a lot of homework on Marcus Jones. So they're trying – He, I think he ended up going in the third round. Um, so they're trying to replace him there. You know, there's no fit for him. It's just, you know, how he's holding out, you know, for this pie-in-the-sky thinking of he's going to get something of value. And, you know, there's two ways this can go, Jody. Because uh, they're not going to release him because it would cost more to uh, release him than right. keep him. Um, so they could work out a deal, you know, trade, maybe get a conditional sixth or something of that nature. Um for next year or, or they can, you know, hold them hostage on the back end of the roster for another year and then move on. What, what it's, he's not going to be a contributor. That's evident that by, by all their actions, 
And Nick Sirianni even verbalizes it when he starts talking about the offense. Now he hasn't even, you know, before AJ even got here, he would talk about he he would talk about Devonte and Quez and and Zach first, and 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 you know it's become a back burner issue with Jalen Rager as far as being a part of this offense. They've turned the page, so now it's just how is it going to end? Is it going to be just you know um, inactive, you know? On, on game days and you just carry him on the roster or do you move him? And the Eagles should probably just take what they can get and, and move on. Uh, you know, it would help the kid. It would help them by the way. But here's the issue. And it's going to fall to both Harry Roseman and Nick Sirianni together. It, it really handicaps them to cut him. I think we can. Yeah, see they can't. Yeah. They can't cut him. I mean, you can. You can do anything. They've proven right. that. But it, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't business. make sense. Yeah. So you're going to have this unhappy slash potentially malcontent on the roster who is two years removed from being a number one pick who is wide receiver five correctly projected by John McMullen and everybody else. He's going to be an issue. He could potentially be an issue in the locker room. So it's going to be up to Sirianni and his wide receiver coach to make sure that they at least keep him from passing the bad vibes onto his teammates. Because, yeah, when you get a guy who doesn't want to be there, isn't going to work. Uh, you, uh, We had a couple weeks ago had our buddy BLG on Brandon Lee Gowton, whose observation was he didn't think he went 100% hard on every single play. Now, the Eagles tell you the exact opposite, that he does work hard in practice. He's been working hard all offseason to get in good shape. I don't think BLG was making it up out of whole cloth. He sure as hell didn't make plays, so I don't break down the wide receiver tape week in, week out, so I don't know how hard he was or wasn't going. He probably looks bad in comparison to a guy like J.J. Arsenko-Whiteside, who really was a pretty damn good blocker as a wide receiver, Jalen Rager didn't have the effort and or the size to be able to do blocking, and he wasn't making plays catching the football. So it, it's going to fall on Sirianni. Howie Roseman made the pick. Howie Roseman gave him the contract he gave him, and now he's a pretty much untradeable player. How's Sirianni going to be able to keep this kid in line? Yeah, I've, I've never sensed any issues from that perspective with Jalen. Um, as far as being a bad teammate, everybody seems to like him. Um I, you know, and I've talked about, and, and, and I get why people think, uh, you know, I saw the same thing with a great receiver and Randy Moss would people would say that he would take plays off and, you know, that was yeah, because, but he was Randy Moss. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but, is not Randy Moss. No, I'm just, believe me, I'm not comparing the players. I'm, I'm comparing the, 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 I, I'm comparing there's times that, like, I don't think Jalen Rager dogs it. I've said that continuously on the show. I don't, I've never seen him dog it. I think he plays with tremendous uncertainty, and that creates the perception to some outside the building that he dogs it. I've never heard he dogs it from Aaron Moorhead or even, you know, people off the record um, where where they tell the truth. Uh, I've, I've never heard that criticism. He kept, keeps himself in great shape. He 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 plays with tremendous uncertainty because he lacks confidence, and he lacks confidence because he hasn't performed well, 
And his, you know, from my perspective, his he's shot as a player in this town, and he needs a a new uh, start somewhere else. And I think everybody knows that. I think certainly Jalen knows it. Certainly his dad knows it. Um, the Eagles know it. They don't even talk about him. So now it becomes this, you know, how he's being a little bit stubborn, I think. And I don't even know if he can get a sixth or seventh round pick, but I think he should settle for a sixth or seventh round pick and stop asking for a day two pick, um, which is ludicrous. Um, and, you know, just say, okay, we made a mistake on this one. It happens all the time. I, now, it's more amplified, I think, in Philadelphia because it's such a passionate football city. But you can go to every team in this league, Jody, and, and go down the list of first-round picks, and you won't go down very far until you find a first-round pick that, that didn't do well. Um, it happens in every city, literally. I just called Baltimore the best, uh, uh, the smartest team in the NFL, and I believe they are. Um, I'll do it in the break and look at their last. I won't have to look long. I'll right. say that because everybody misses on first-round pick first round picks you know the longer you pretend you haven't missed maybe that's the wrong word but you get what i'm pointing out mm -hmm. you know it doesn't help you it doesn't help the kid it doesn't help you it doesn't help anybody i think the eagles should turn the page and uh, ultimately i think they will we'll see what they're able to get i think somebody will give them as i said a six round seventh round pick at some point, especially when injuries, maybe it comes in August, but you probably don't even want him here um, for, for mini camp or, and he's here by the way, working out as he usually is. Um, Cause he is going to be miserable, but, but I've never heard anybody call him a bad teammate. I really haven't. I, I don't believe any of that stuff. Uh, I think all he, he's, he's, I'm not defending his play at all. He plays with no confidence. He's completely shot. He needs out of this city. But I don't think he's going to be that guy that that uh, creates a ruckus, nor does he have the power to create a ruckus, to be honest. But the only reason I brought up Randy Moss is because, you know, even when he was the best receiver in football, people would say he takes off plays, he takes off plays. And I've told you this, Jody, I've never seen anybody work harder behind the scenes. I mean, people act like he's this natural freak and he came out of the womb like that. No, he worked his ass off. Never missed a practice until I think his sixth season when he tore his hamstring. And by the way, he tore his hamstring and he played that week. And he played that week as a decoy. Uh, but he had this reputation because of his personality that he didn't work hard. And you would see, you know, there would be a play on the other side of the field. And every receiver, when the play's going the other way, you know, they'll they'll run out a couple steps and they'll put the, you know, they'll put the one camera on right. Oh, he's not running a route. Play's going to the other side of the field. He runs 60 go routes a game. Yeah, he's taking a little breather. Um, but, you know, it it's it, in my estimation, it's a lack of understanding. It would would, and that's why I brought up him. There was a lack of understanding how Randy went about his business. And I think the same thing exists with Jalen Ray. And while I agree with you that there is a, a difference between not giving 100% effort 
And even a guy like Randy Moss would do on an occasional play and people would make a bigger deal of it than needed be. I get that. And not having the confidence to be able to go out, to be a little mentally lost. Not going 100% is not going 100%. If it's a preconceived notion that you're not going to give the effort, that's certainly worse. Not being able to have the confidence as a first-round draft pick in your second year in the league that you can't run a route and or get up, that's not good, too. It's a different reason, but it's, if you're not going 100% for two different reasons, still not going 100%, and that's not good for a guy that you spent a first-round draft pick. Hey, real quick, before we got to get to break, and then, Damo, uh, the Saints are expected to sign uh, Honey Badger, so – Cross that one off the list too. Go Blankenship is. What they <laughs> Go read Blankenship. Epsy baby, Epsy to the rescue. We shall see. I right, uh, as John just mentioned, we are guest number two bound. Our buddy Paul Domwich from uh, Philly Mag and the Thirty Third Team going to join us next here on Birds Three Sixty Five. Stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV. Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Lincoln Financial Field is home to more than just our hometown team. It's a landing place for dreams. Invest in the future of our students from all over Philadelphia and get an exclusive tour of the stadium at the Blocks Aspire to Dreams Gala hosted by Brian Taff of 6ABC. While we aspire to build, our students aspire to dream. Join us for the Blocks Gala on Thursday, May 5th at Lincoln Financial Field. Seats are limited, so reserve yours today at blocks.org slash gala. In Philadelphia, we celebrated the miracle with pride only five years ago. And then the following morning, IBEW Local 98 members went back to work, building this city, rescuing our communities from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are. Like the cats, Local 98 members believe in hope. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and career opportunities with Local 98, visit us, ibew98.org. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. 
Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. John McMullen, Judd McDonald, your Mac and Mac Bart 365 guys at your in a bud. Uh, he has been only covering Eagles for decades. He's still doing it these days from Philly Mag and writing for the 33rdstreetteam.com. Paul Domwich jumps aboard with us here on Birds 365. A lot easier covering the Eagles draft from uh, your Barco lounger than it is having to go down to the Novacare complex, isn't it, Domo? Mm. Sure is. I didn't have to wait till one in the morning for Howie to uh, surface that one day. And, uh, yeah, no, I like it a lot. Yeah, those days are a chore, Domo. Oh, they're a chore. Uh, but hey, you could be working for a living. So we're lucky. We're all lucky. Exactly. Um, uh, so, yeah, well, start up. Let's get your thoughts. I, I mean, you know, Howie makes two potentially franchise altering moves in the first round, gives up a lot of draft capital to do it. Uh, but I, I thought it was the right thing to do. What was your take on, on trading up to get Jordan Davis and then trading for, for AJ Brown? Yeah. I mean, Jordan Davis, I've said for, you know, for weeks that if there was any way they could get him, uh, you know, they needed to, uh, if he was within range, like he was go, you know, go up and get him. I mean, he's a difference maker for that defensive line, both against the run and the pass, I mean, that was a terrific pickup. I mean, I think that's going to make a world of difference. And then getting – I mean, they had to get A.J. Brown. I mean, they don't – they need a second receiver. Uh, it's not going to be Jalen Rager. Uh, uh, you know, I think Brown – It is not. <laughs> no. So, I think he's going to fit in nicely with Devontae Smith and uh, uh, Dallas uh, Goddard. You know, I mean, I think they've got – Let's put it this way. I, I don't think if everybody stays healthy, including their offensive line this year, Jalen Hurts has no excuses. So yeah. this year we'll we'll find out once and for all whether he can be a franchise quarterback. Now, real quick, Dama, obviously from a football perspective, A.J. Brown is a no-brainer uh, for this particular team. And the fact that he's close to Jalen as well only helps even more. But yeah. were you surprised that all the Eagles were willing – to go to that 25 million average annual value. I mean, the week prior, how we had said, essentially, we want to zig. We don't want to be like everybody else. And then when he was talking about the exploding wide receiver market, and then he's just like everybody else, and he's handing out $25 million like he's Oprah taping a show. Uh, but A.J. Brown, yeah, I mean, he deserves it. He's in that category. But were you surprised that the Eagles went there at that particular position? Uh, you know, yes and no. I mean, I, I think Howie understands that the cap is going to – I mean, it's, the cap's probably, from everybody I've talked to, is going to go up 20 to $25 million each year for the next several years. So, I mean, cap management is a thing of the past. I mean, unless you're just really stupid – and, and squander a lot of money, you can afford to pay pretty much anything to anybody. Why? Now, now I'm, I'm perplexed by why wide receivers are making this kind of money when you see six of them go in the first round uh, over the weekend. I mean, it's not like quarterback where there's a scarcity of them. 
and you understand why the money, you know, it's a quarterback driven league. So you kind of understand why they're paying quarterbacks so much wide receivers. I'm a little bit surprised, but I think a part of it with Howie, you know, he's been burned. He, he realizes, I think he, he's not perfect in, in evaluating wide receivers, at least with AJ Brown, you're getting a guy that's already proven he can play. Uh, so you're not projecting. You're not. This isn't going to be Jalen Rager. This isn't going to be uh, Arcega Whiteside. You're getting a guy that has done it, and you know he can do it. Uh, so you know you're willing to pay the money. I Damo, I want to jump over to the other side of the ball because it sounds like we all agree the first three rounds of the draft, the Eagles just flat out killed it between A.J. Brown and Jordan Davis and Nicole Dean as a steal mm -hmm. in the third round. Even a Jurgens pick uh, may need to have patience and just let him redshirt a year and sit on the bench. But when he gets a chance to play, you got a chance to go from a decade of Jason Kelsey to a decade of uh, beef uh, jerky. <laughs> then the last two rounds, I'm not exactly sure what the Eagles did there. Uh, tight end, um, just I, I don't get it. And another linebacker. Um, I know he's a different type of linebacker than Nicobe Dean, but uh, I know they're only late round picks, day three picks. But were you surprised at the individuals and the specific uses of the Eagles with their late picks in this draft uh, after having to give up as much draft capital to get the first two guys that they did? Well, I think the, the first of those two late round picks, Johnson, I mean, he's going to end up being an edge rusher. Whether he's any good, we'll find out. Um, but, I mean, I think that's where his future is. I mean, they need all the edge rushing help they can get. If one of these kids turns out to be a, you know, like a Teron you know, Jackson last year, somebody, if one of these guys turns out to be a keeper uh, over the long haul, they've helped themselves as far as their pass rush. I like the Calcaterra pick. Uh, it, only thing I don't like about it, well, I mean, I like him at six because – I mean, let's let's face it. He retired because of concussions, and he's probably one or two concussions away from retiring again. You know, you're you're kind of hoping uh, that that doesn't happen. Uh, but I, you know, I watched him play when he was at Oklahoma because my wife, an Oklahoma grad, so I got a chance to watch a lot of Big Twelve games. And yeah, you know, he was a special when he was a freshman and sophomore. Um, you know, you I, you heard Nick talk, and I, I love I love it when Nick talks twelve personnel. <laughs> you know, he's talking about how this kid could fit in 12 personnel. He's not much of a blocker. Um, but, if, you know, uh, he he can catch the ball. He can't, you know, he's a good route runner. He's got decent speed. So, I mean, I, I think he was worth taking a, and it's not even taking a chance on him in the sixth round. I mean, he deserved to go about there. Um, and, 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 and I think he could be a player if he can stay healthy. That, that's a big if because, you know, you're talking about concussions and we, once you've had a, a, a string of them that, you know, it gets easier to get them and, and they get more serious. So, uh, you know, I don't hold out hope that he's going to be around a long time, but he's, you know, talent wise, he was worth the pick. Are you surprised that you mentioned the concussion issue and Grant did retire for a year and tried firefighting. So there were all the Danny Watkins jokes, as you can imagine, oh, yeah. uh, Damo, but um, and then came back and uh, actually was going to go to Auburn and then ended up at SMU. So really talented kid, uh, obviously, when you get recruited by Oklahoma uh, and then Auburn's looking for you. Um, but they also did it with N'Kobe Dean in that there's, you know, 
it's pretty much there's a lot of teams. It's not the pec from what I hear. It's the shoulder and the knee, and some people might think it's a chronic issue. Um, and the Eagles kind of went out on a limb twice uh, on the injury front, and that's bit them before with Sidney Jones, but it worked last year, at least in the short term, with Landon Dickerson. Um, you're surprised the Eagles didn't shy away from from those potential issues with with medical red flags. No, uh, you know, and I also think that one that you know, in addition to the health, I mean, I've been told that a lot of people did have some problems with his size, which is kind of stupid. Because uh, I mean, if you haven't learned by now that shorter linebackers can play, then you don't. Sam Mills, baby. Exactly. Um, you know, I go back to Jeremiah Trotter, John. Uh, same kind of. Yeah, yeah, chronic chronic knee. What they said when he was coming out was, you know, it's fine now, but he's probably going to have a short career. He's not going to have, he's not going to be around 12, 13, 14 years. And that's probably the same situation with this guy. But, you know, uh, third round, a guy with this talent, a guy that can, that can help you in so many ways, including as a blitzer. Uh, I didn't think it was that big of a gamble. And there was, you know, I looked at, you look at, at, what was available at other positions right there. And, you know, if there was a corner that, that you know, there, there was a corner run right before they picked earlier in the round. So there was nobody really at that position, which, which is a position in need where you said, why didn't they take this guy? There really was nobody that belonged in that spot at corner or safety for that matter. So, you know, uh, I, 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 I like that pick. Obviously a lot of people like that pick. I don't, you know, even if he, even if the peck is a serious problem this year and you redshirted him, I'm still okay with it. Yeah, uh, that's what I said. I yep, said the yeah. peck doesn't concern me at all. I'm like, so what? I got a redshirt yeah. him. I got Kaiser White. I got TJ for a year. And exactly. I that I'm fine with redshirting him for one year. So it didn't make much sense to me. But then I started hearing the knee stuff and the shoulder yeah. stuff, and it made a little bit more sense. But I think it's tremendous value either way for the Eagles. And I yeah. dismissed the knee stuff and the shoulder stuff because he had it this year. Oh, and he was the most productive linebacker in college football. Give me that guy with those knee problems and shoulder problems if he can put up those kind of numbers. All right, I'm yeah. going to give you an either-or, Damo. Starting across from Anthony Harris, it's safety for the Eagles this year. Getting the majority of the snaps will be Reed Marcus Blankenship, <laughs> Marcus Epps, Kayvon Wallace, or other. Which are you going with? You can get all three of the guys who are already under contract for the Eagles, or you can go in another direction with other. Who's going to get most of the snaps across from Harris? I mean, other is always a possibility because you never know when late in camp, somebody that you just absolutely never expected to see get cut gets cut, and you're willing to give him a shot. But I, right now I'd go with Marcus Epps. Uh, you know, he's shown improvement. I don't know what, you know, I, when Kayvon Wallace was drafted, I thought this kid was going to be a real player. I mean, I watched him play at Clemson, so much experience. And, you know, unless he's made a, makes a big improvement this off season, he just is what he is, which is a backup. So I, I would say right now, Marcus Epson, I'm not saying it with enthusiasm. Uh, you know, maybe I think they've, they've decided, you know, we've really beefed up our uh, linebacking core so we don't have to, <laughs> it's like a new thing, you know, we, Maybe they won't get to the back end. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm not so sure. But they do seem to like Marcus a little bit more than most. I think 
that's legitimate. Um, but I do think they still need help at cornerback yeah. and safety. Now they they spent a lot of money in undrafted free agency, so they knew they had this budget, uh, and they signed three corners and a safety. Now, uh, you know, undrafted free agents are what they are, but as far as the corner position. Steve Nelson's now in Houston. We know in the past, you go back to the Super Bowl season, they traded Ronald for Ronald Darby in August. Uh, last year, they brought Nelson in, I think, two days before camp. Um, is it going to be the same thing this year? We're talking about corner and safety in August and how he's going to bring somebody in? I think so. I mean, the corner situation, guys, really concerns me right now. Uh, you know, when you got Howie uh, standing up there the other night, you know, playing, t- you know, talking about Mac McCain and Tay Gowan and Josiah Scott, you know, these guys. Carrie Benson Jr., don't forget Carrie. Yeah, yeah there's so well, many of them. Kmart, I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, I think their they're starting corner is going to end up being somebody that's not on the roster right now that gets, you know, they pick up in training camp or make a trade for in training camp, something like that. Um, Honey Badger likely gone. Ian Rappaport uh, reported it a, a few minutes ago. Uh, deal set to be finalized in the coming days. So that was a, a player. I think he zoomed with the Eagles. He actually didn't come in, but um, seemed like a player they had interest in, uh, but only if the price was going to be, uh, you know, Kmart, as you would. And as you would say, they were shopping at the clearance aisle. And, you know, it's interesting. They're, they went all in with A.J. Brown. Um, you know, Honey Badger has played a lot of football, but he's not even 30 yet, Damo, which is, you know, because he came in so early. Seems to have lost a step. Um, do you see valuation uh, uh, positions changing at all for the Eagles a little bit with Jonathan Gannon, maybe on the defense versus, say, Jim Schwartz? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you see it with the linebacker position. Um, you see it with the interior line. Um, you know, uh, but th- definitely, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it switched a little bit. I mean, they hit, hit you know, what positions are important to, uh, you know, to, to Jonathan, uh, you know, were not as important with Schwartz, even though Schwartz was a big linebacker guy early in his career. I mean, he had some, he had some pretty good interior guys, but I mean, he, 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 with the Eagles, he felt he could get by with, or at least had to get by with uh, whoever, you know, what was out well, there. Well, the problem was he brought in some of those good interior guys, Stephen Tulloch yeah. at the very end. Hey, Stephen was a hell of a player, but yeah, not you here. Know, yeah. You know, coaches, they think guys are, you know, they remember them from 10 years ago and they get (laughs) up again and they can't even, uh, they can't run from here to there. So yeah, no, you're right. The valuation has changed on a lot of positions. Uh, Wide receiver though, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, that's become a, you know, that's a desperation situation, especially if you're trying to judge uh, Jalen hurts here, you want to give him all the weapons he can get. All right, I'm going to get uh, real creative and play Howie Roseman here, and you tell me if this has got any possibility to happen. The Philadelphia Eagles trade Gardner Minshew to the Seattle Seahawks for a sixth-round pick 
which can go to a fifth round pick, depending on how much he plays, which could go to a fourth round pick, depending on how far he gets him into the playoffs. And then the Eagles sign Nick Foles as their backup quarterback to be here behind Jalen Hurts. Oh, no, Jim. Come on, we went an hour and 39 minutes before I mentioned Nick Foles. Come on, I showed a lot of patience before I went there. Any chance, Tomo, is it more than 0% that they trade Gardner Minshew to open up the backup quarterback spot for Nikki Six? The Minshew trade, I think, is definitely a possibility. Uh, Nick Foles being that they bring in to replace him, I don't see that happening. Oh. But, I mean, you know, Seattle. They'll give us stuff to talk about here. Who cares if he actually can still play or not? He's Nick Foles coming back to Philly again. Free beers all around, right? (laughs) I'll buy him one. That'll be worth the price for me. Uh, Whatever Nick drinks, I'll buy him. Last time. Last time, even Nick didn't want to come back. He doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to hear about it anymore. Ah, we got to stop talking about Nick Foles. But never, never. You, you, you brought up. Uh, you know, some of the excuses are are gone with Jalen Hurts now. Um, not excuses, but you know, you could explain away some difficulties by saying he doesn't have any weapons. And now you look up, you wake up, and you go, well. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard. That's You're not going to get much better than that as your top three options. Miles Sanders entering a contract year certainly has a lot to play for. You have a, arguably uh, the best offensive line, certainly a top five offensive line. Um, there's no more explanations for uh, lackluster play um, and it's pretty evident that Nick Sirianni isn't going to show up week one and saying, we're going to run the football. They're not paying A.J. Brown $25 million to not catch the football. They're going to start throwing it. And there's going to be more 11. Uh is going to get us 12. Maybe Grant Calcaterra uh, uh, <laughs> steps in. But we're he's, six weeks, I'm going to give you week six, Damo. That's yeah. the cutoff. You think we're going to know about Jalen Hurts by week six? I think we're going to have a pretty good idea by then. I mean, uh, granted, we don't know the schedule yet, so we don't know who those first five opponents are going to be. Like if it were last year and you looked at that, you know, that debt murders row that they started with, you'd probably say he needs, he's going to need a little time before we make a decision here. Uh, so I, I midseason, though, I think we'll have a pretty good idea. Uh, you know, I, I think we're going to run more than we think. They're not going to be like last year uh, where they were the only team in the playoffs that ran the ball more than they threw it. Uh, but I think they're going to try to strike some balance because this line is just so good. Uh, you want to take advantage of that. I also think one thing that they didn't do enough of last year and they need to do more of this year is use those two running backs as receivers. I mean, Kenny Gainwell is, is you know was one of the best pass-catching running backs in the draft last year. Uh, and, and I mean, they need to start using him more in that, you know, in that vein. And, and it'll just open up. It just opens up everything even more for the rest of those guys, both the, you know, your wide receivers, your tight end and also the running game. So, um, you know, we'll see. But yeah, I, I mean, I think by midseason, John, we'll have a, a pretty good idea of whether one of those two picks in next year's draft is going to be for a quarterback. 
right, uh, you threw out a name there. I want to get you to get on the record. And I know health has a lot to do with it, but he stayed healthy for the most part last year, played in 16 out of 17 games. Gainwell had 101 touches in 17 games last year between carries and reception, 67, 68 catches, 33 uh, receptions, 101 touches. What does that number go for him this year? We all believe it's going up. How far up? If he stays healthy, I think it goes up to 200. Um, wow. You know, both, both running and passing combined. I mean, see, well, I'll tell you, I, I know I'm in the minority of this. I know Eagles fans just love the hell out of Miles Sanders. I think Kenny Gainwell's a better back. Uh, I mean, we're, we're, what, three years into Miles Sanders, and he still wants to take everything outside. Uh, he's not a very smart running back from that standpoint. Um, That's true. You know, He's been inconsistent as a receiver. He had that one year where he couldn't catch. You know, I mean, they were throwing. He's, he's out there in the in the in the you know in the flat, and they're throwing it to him wide open. And from Wentz, and he he's dropping those. You know, I mean, I just don't think he's going to see a second contract here. Um, I think they need to pick up a power back for short yardage here at some point. Um, don't have one on their roster right now, do they? Other than the. No, they didn't. They signed Kennedy uh, Brooks, an Oklahoma guy. So your wife oh, might be right. able to get, uh, but he's he's not. He's he's about two ten, so he's not and, short and, and to. Brooks is. I watched him, and I, I would always tell my wife, just too slow. You know, too slow getting to holes. Too slow running away from people. Uh, but he's a straight. You know, he's a strong straight ahead runner. So maybe he helps them. But I mean. I, I love Gainwell. I mean, I, I loved him when they drafted him. I thought he was a steal in the fifth round. Uh, and I think he's, you know, if he can stay healthy, he's going to be a productive uh, player this year for them. Yeah, especially as a receiver. He's just a natural receiver where Miles has talent, but he yeah. I don't think he's a, a natural uh, tracker of the football. So I think he struggles uh, a bit from that perspective. Uh, so, Jody was talking about refurbished models, but the quarterback factory is open, uh, Damo. It is open, and they got some brand new stuff coming out. Carson Strong. We got a Carson back. Forget a Nick. We got a Carson back. And E.J. Perry, they get, they're get signing the kid from Brown as well. Oh. Uh, so they got an Ivy Leaguer. They got a smart guy coming in. Um, any Any – possibility i mean reed sinette is the developmental quarterback right now so i think carson strong if he's healthy has a legit shot yeah. at being that number three guy but you know a lot of people thought he was draftable what'd you think of, of of carson strong yeah i liked him a lot i mean i didn't see a lot of tape but i looked at his i mean his numbers what he, he, he last his last uh yeah, his numbers were great with, uh, yeah. he had like 60 some touchdown passes yeah. I think it was over uh, 40 last year. Yeah, I was surprised that he fell, uh, you know, and didn't get drafted. Uh, Another medical know. guy. He's got a bad knee. Um, yeah. So a quarterback, uh, you don't worry about that as much, though. It is interesting, though, because he's he's the traditional stand-up pocket passer who doesn't move very well in EJ's sort of, the, the new age movement-based quarterback who maybe can't throw it from the pocket. So it's interesting. The Eagles are trying both versions. So throw it, and that kind of defines them with Jalen Hurts as well. Um, uh, 
do you take anything out of the Eagles bringing in two undrafted quarterbacks or it's just like they like quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, I, they've got to cover their bases right now. I mean, A, because, you know, if he gets hurt, you got to have, you know, you always have to have reinforcements. B, you know, you're thinking long-term right now. What what if he's not the guy? Uh, I mean, they've got the two picks next year, but so do, I believe right now there's already five teams next year with multiple picks in the first round. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be a, you know, a, a, a very good quarterback class, but there's going to be a lot of competition for those top guys. So, you know, I mean, their best case scenario is that this kid proves he can play this year. Uh, but I think, you know, how he wants to make sure he's got backups that they can develop uh, or that have some promise. On the quarterback front, we're going to have our buddy Rick Saritello from NFL Draft Bible tomorrow. He's stuck strong with Carson <laughs> Strong. Yeah, poor Rick. Pick. You're not going to let Rick buy that, are you, Jody? Poor Rick. What's that? Malik Willis. <laughs> he had Malik Willis going 18 to the Eagles. Uh, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll give him a hard time <laughs> on that. But I'm just talking about the guys that the Eagles did bring in. He had Carson Strong as his number five quarterback, and he had uh, the kid from Brown as his sixth quarterback. So they got both of those guys via undrafted free agency. They that those are pretty good darts to be throwing at the board. But I want to throw a dart here. Hold on, let me let me double check this. Eagles draft, no defensive ends. Eagles free agent after the draft signing, no defensive ends. Are we ready for another year of Derek Barnett? Come on, you got to get excited with me here, Damo. <laughs> Well, I mean, he's right now he's in the rotate in a four man rotation. Uh, I mean, my feeling is that they're going to move people around a lot more this year. I think we're going to see Fletcher Cox outside more, uh, Milton Williams. I mean, th this is what's happening in the league right now. You want guys that you can pretty much put anywhere up and down that line. You know, I mean, Jordan Davis is athletic enough to put anywhere. I mean, th this is going to it's going to be interesting to see how Jonathan Gannon uses all of these guys where he lines them up, you know, where they're most effective. Uh, but, I mean, I think that's why they're not too um, – they're not too concerned about the fact that right now somebody like Derek Barnett is – you know, and Derek's had his moments. I'm not going to trash him. He just wasn't a first-round. He was, he was – you know, it's like Mike Mamula. If, if Mike Mamula wasn't a first-round pick, we would Yeah, it's all about – it's all about the label. If he were that's a third-round right. pick, you'd say, oh, that's a pretty good rotational player. Right, we'll, forget, we'll forget where he was drafted. Four million dollars free agent signing this year, Derek Barnett. Is he going to be worth it? That's chump changed uh, right now. Yeah, yeah, I agree with Dama. I think he's a good rotation. Now, if he plays seventy percent of the snaps, then I have a problem. But <laughs> I, I do think uh, Dama's right. People get too hung up on four three versus three four. Now you're going to see multiple fronts. You're going to see five man fronts, three man fronts conventional four uh you're gonna have Hassan reddick playing two different positions um we're gonna we're gonna know after this season if we're renting jonathan gannon as the eagles say or if you know the hype is much ado about nothing because they've given them a lot of pieces in the front seven now there's still a lot of excuses in the secondary though so i guess we can go there but that front seven this is as deep as it's been here, Damo, in, in, in quite a while. When you talk about now you have N'Kobe Dean to 
TJ Edwards played well last year and they signed Kaiser White. This is the best linebacker group they've had. And don't don't forget uh, Davion Taylor. I mean, if he can stay yeah, healthy, he, he started to show something uh, middle of the year before he got hurt. So, I mean, granted, he still doesn't you know have much of a clue instinctively. But, yeah, I mean, that, that, uh, that front set, I mean, they still got, you know, they were the worst. They had the worst completion opponent completion percentage in the league last year. I'll remember what good quarterbacks did to them. So I mean, they they have to improve at cornerback, and 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 right now they you know that there's a a big void at that other corner. So we'll see. And uh, Jay Mack, what's your favorite uh, uh, Coach Schwartz uh, uh, phrase about putting youngsters out startup cost? Love it. Startup cost. Love the it. Startup cost for the yeah. Eagles at cornerback this year. Could be significant. Yeah. Jim did not like playing young players. Yeah. There's a lot of startup costs there. Yeah. Uh, but we'll end it here. P. Damo, follow him on Twitter. You can read him at the 33rd team, uh, Damo. Last one, I guess, you, you mentioned a little bit about uh, Miles Sanders in his contract year. Do you see any path to him getting that second contract? I knew you don't think he's he's going to get it. I don't think he's going to get it here. Obviously, he's going to get yeah. it somewhere else. But I'm I'm talking about in Philadelphia. From this perspective, though, if he finally turns into the player Eagles fans thought he was going to be, and he has that 1,300 yard season, and he looks like that explosive back, then he's going to cost too much money. And if he has a bad season, they're going to say, all right, we're just going to run this over. Is there any way Miles Sanders can get a second contract with the Eagles? You know, he goes out there and has maybe five 70 yard runs in the first five, six games. Uh, I mean, I don't, I think they're looking at it like, okay, we're probably not resigning him and, and he's going to have to pretty much knock our socks off here. And he's not going to really have enough opportunities to do that because I think they're going to mix Gainwell in even more, like I said earlier. So, yeah, I just don't see any way he gets a second contract here. Damo, great stuff. As always, buddy, we'll uh, reach back in a couple of weeks. We get a little closer to camp, see if the Eagles do anything else via free agency. Know that most of the best players have been picked up, but a little bit of movement today after whatever, 4 o'clock doesn't count against the compensation signings. We'll see if the Eagles uh, have a couple more tricks up their sleeve, those Howie Roseman. Appreciate you coming on board with us uh, today. Glad you enjoyed your draft weekend at home. Thanks for hopping on with us, bud. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Paul Domwich from Philly Mag and also the 33rdteam.com. All right, John Ma- Johnny Mac, Jody Mac coming back. What are we going to do? Oh, we'll put a bow in the show next. Stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV. Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on action. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today.
field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Lincoln Financial Field is home to more than just our hometown team. It's a landing place for dreams. Invest in the future of our students from all over Philadelphia and get an exclusive tour of the stadium at the Blocks Aspire to Dreams Gala, hosted by Brian Taff of 6ABC. While we aspire to build, our students aspire to dream. Join us for the Blocks Gala on Thursday, May 5th at Lincoln Financial Field. Seats are limited, so reserve yours today at blocks.org slash gala. In Philadelphia, we celebrated the miracle with pride only five years ago. And then the following morning, IBEW Local 98 members went back to work, building this city, rescuing our communities from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are. Like the cats, Local 98 members believe in hope. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and career opportunities with Local 98, visit us, ibew98.org. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. You got your Mac and Mac guys, McMullen and McDonald. Putting the ball in the show for this first day after the Eagles draft. Thank both Ian Cummings and Paul Domwich for hopping on with us. All right, uh, Jay Mac, uh, need you to explain a little bit for our uh, Eagle fan streamers out there. Eagles got pretty aggressive in the non-drafted free agent market. As soon as the draft's over, you can sign these guys. Don't kid yourself. They were negotiating while the fifth round, the sixth round, the seventh <laughs> round was ongoing. Not supposed yeah. to, not allowed. Everybody on the planet does it, so nobody gets in trouble for it. Um, but they also spent some pretty good money in giving out guarantees. Now, that is something you say, well, how can they do this standard of cap? It doesn't really affect the cap because no. when you get to a certain point, it's just your top 51. And yeah. all your players at the bottom end of it are playing for basically the league minimum. So it's just a amount of guaranteed money. It's what comes out of the owner's pocket. The owner ends up paying somebody guaranteed money who's not a Philadelphia Eagle because they don't have room for him on the roster. They have to go ahead and cut him. Uh, but I think you got to give a little tip of the cap to Jeffrey Laurie today because he okayed Howie Roseman to give out some pretty good guaranteed money to undrafted free agents who may or may not be Philadelphia Eagles by the time we get to the first, second, excuse me, second Sunday in September. Yeah, and I think that was probably in draft. I mean, the Eagles are have been known to do this type of thing in the past. It kind of varies from year to year. And when you only have five picks and it became evident um, that uh, the Eagles weren't going to have a lot of picks after they made the trades, then you got to shift gears a little bit and realize you got to go heavy into undrafted free agency and i think the eagles understood that and it starts at quarterback which is the most high profile position as you mentioned jody 
with Rick Saratella's rankings, he's not the only one. They got the best two undrafted quarterbacks, the best two. I can't remember the last time somebody did that. So it's probably not even going to mean that much in the long term. But it does take, you know, a little bit of money. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's just a little splash in the water when you compare it to the big-time contracts in this league. So I don't want to overstate it. But they did have a pretty big budget. Uh, given to them by Jeffrey Lurie for undrafted free agency. And that's another winning outside the margin thing the Eagles like to do. They want to take advantage of certain situations, and they're generally pretty good at it. That one I certainly sign off on. I give them a lot of credit for that. Now we'll find out if any of these guys can play. How many of these guys are actually going to make the roster? If it's just a it's usually one play. last year, it was Jack Stoll. Think about it. You know, it's usually one at the because of the lack of draft picks, maybe two. Uh, but you know what? You probably, and I think we're at 10 right now, and there's a little bit of room to add a few more. Um, when you talk about the practice squad, I think you'll see, you know, five or six of them in the organization still. Right. Um, uh, but, you know, as far as the 53 men, probably one or two. And and some of that is the GM's ego. I talk about it all the time. You probably heard me say it in the past. A lot of GMs like to keep an undrafted guy to say, look at me. I found this guy, blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, it is what it is. But because the Eagles only have five picks, it makes it a little bit easier for an undrafted guy to, to make a run. I would look at my early prediction. I know we got to go. I would look at Carson Strong and, and Josh Job, the cornerback from Alabama, if I'm going to pick two. Okay. And, uh, oh, by the way, Greg Calcaterra is going to eviscerate Jack Stoll. Uh, so that one year of Jack Stoll around is an undrafted. Now, Jack's going to be here, but I think he might be the – I think Grant has a, a, a chance to usurp him as the second string tight end. Okay. I don't okay. think he's getting cut. The bragging, the flexing that Howie did with Jack Stahl is now, by the way, side, is that what you're telling me? Well, he's got bragging to do about Carson Strong and Josh Job now. Okay, yeah. he's just passing the brag on. Yeah. So it's not a lengthy yeah. brag when you no. get a undrafted free agent. It's a 12-month baton the to the next undrafted free agent. Oh, okay, yeah, all right, fine. Uh, Howie, uh, let me once again uh, extol the virtues of going out and trading for Chuck Clark. They need another safety. They need another safety. Andre Sachere. Come on, Jody. Yeah. Jared Andre, uh, Jack uh, Clark finished second on the Ravens. A damn good defensive tackles. Where was Andre Sachere on the list of Eagle tackles this year? He was, Did he uh, get one? Did he have oh, one? Yeah. He was He was the gunner until he got benched uh, for being the gunner for Josiah Scott. He was the oh, punt gunner. Yeah, and that's why uh, Kyron Johnson's here. Because they need better coverage players. I should be able to look this up pretty quickly. Andre Sachere, number of tackles. Uh, I'm not seeing him here. Did he have one? They, as the gunner? Are you telling me he didn't have any? Oh, no. Yeah. So 15. My God. Yeah. I would have taken under eight. He had yeah. 15 tackles. You, I am underselling Andre Sachere. Yeah. He, right he, he, he was the starting gunner for the majority of the season. He was pretty good early. Kind of faltered late. A lot like Aaron Sipas. Baltimore Ravens get Chuck Clark. Do it now, Howie, that Arnie Badger has landed in New Orleans. All right, uh, we'll be back here tomorrow. We mentioned Rick Saratel is going to be on with us. John O'Scarrup, another one of his Eagle Beat guys. Partner, I know you worked a hard weekend, so go get a nap. Uh, the Chuck Clark trade isn't happening for at least 
24 hours. You don't have to sweat that. Uh, just be ready to come back here tomorrow, all right? Two and two. Got to give it to us, Jody. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.